0: So on the 6th of June in 2009 I had just sent the seat off for a crash test in, in Italy and I have a post-it note that I had stuck on the wall on my home office at the time and the post-it note says bubble Bum will be global and I knew at that stage the size of the opportunity I knew that everybody had the same problem that I had and all I had to do was to get it right
1: The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. Today we'll hear from a woman who had a problem and made a solution, which is blowing up in markets all over the world. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright and today I'll be speaking with Gronia Kelly, an enterprising mother who, when travelling, struggled to source car booster seats for her kids, so she made her own.
0: Like I was fed up waiting for somebody else to do the thing So I needed to get it done So that was my priority Just let's get it done and, and you know, no matter what you're doing in any business Your priority is to get things done
1: Going on holidays Parents will always struggle to pack bulky booster seats And car hire firms charge a lot to rent them Often they run out The average cost is €11 Euros per day Per day? Rent. €11 Euro a day? The car
0: seat's more expensive than the car
1: So Gronia put her thinking cap on and realised that an inflatable booster would solve the problem but others needed convincing.
0: At the end of the day I had to get people to believe when they heard inflatable they immediately thought beach ball and a beach ball you wouldn't want your child like you're not going to throw it to them in the water if they're drowning you're going to try and get them a life vest instead so we had to get people to think life vest not beach ball whenever they thought about an inflatable car seat.
1: Today, we'll hear about her cheeky attitude to business, where she found the brand name Bubble Bum, and the game-changing deal that should take it to new heights. Gronya Kelly, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today. Um, you've got such a, you know, a fascinating story and product. Uh, do you ever wonder why it was you that actually, of all people in the world, who came up with this product idea?
0: Well, why not
1: me? Well, of course, but I mean, just take a moment to think about how lucky you are or what was it about you that actually put it over the line?
0: It's really funny, actually, because I had a conversation earlier today about that very thing. And a lot of people talk to me about, you know, I really want to invent something. I really want to invent something. But it is all about solving problems. And for me at the time, I mean, my, my children were small at the time. And for me, it was just the case of you want to get things done. Like I was fed up waiting for somebody else to do the thing. So I needed to get it done. So that was my priority. Just let's get it done. And, and you know, no matter what you're doing in any business, your priority is to get things done.
1: Absolutely. So you turned a kind of a, a mother's problem into a, you know, a solution for the, for, for the world's mothers. Necessity is
0: the mother of invention.
1: There it is. A mother's in that phrase there as well. There you go. There you go. So you thought, uh, you you came up with a brainwave about an inflatable booster seat for kids in cars um, and you realised then that actually nobody else has done this. Um, Could you be sure that actually you were the first person that actually thought of it and it just took somebody like you to to work hard and push it over the line?
0: Well, what happened was I went to the car rental desk and they kept telling me they didn't have a car booster seat when I was standing with my two children even though I'd pre-booked it in advance. But the They said to me that they had no space to store them. And for me, I said, well, why didn't you have an inflatable one? And normally people would come back from their trip and go about their everyday business. But I came back and said, no, I'm ringing the crash test lab to try and find out why nobody has ever invented an inflatable car seat. And I rang them and they just said, it can't be done. And I said, what do you mean it can't be done? Like everything, you you can't say can't. My daddy always told me there's no such word as canny. (laughs) So for me, that was really, really important. And I said, what do you mean it can't be done? And they said, well, you know, for an inflatable seat, it has to be crash tested in the worst possible case scenario. And I said, right, okay." So they gave me a list of all the things, all the the requirements that it needed to meet. And I said, look, I'm not an engineer. I need you to speak to me like a three year old because I'm not an engineer. Mm -hmm. And when I was I think when I was so transparent with them, explaining that I didn't know and it put that vulnerability on the table as well. I think that's why they were a lot more helpful with me. And I set about solving each and every one of the issues that they had raised for me. And the main one was that it had to be crash tested in the deflated state. So then I thought about, you know, those camping cushions that when you get a puncture, you can't get the air out of the damn things and you can't pack them away. And that was really the brainchild behind the bubble bum was the camping cushions.
1: Wow. I mean, what was it that you did or said or how how did you even get the the right people to talk to you? Because you were just, you know, as you say, you weren't an expert. Mm. You didn't have a background. You didn't even really have a kind of a a company. You weren't calling up from, you know, Acme Enterprises Mm. saying, I already make loads of things and now I want to make this. You're just an ordinary, you know, mum at the time. Mm. What was it that, how did you get them to talk to you?
0: Tag, I think everybody I spoke to thought I was an absolute nutcase. And they were probably right. But I just kept ringing them up. And uh, everything for me in life is about relationships. Everything is about relationships. It's not just transactional. So I was ringing up and trying to get past the gatekeeper. And you're always trying to get past the gatekeeper. No matter what you're doing, you're trying to get past the gatekeeper. So I befriended every gatekeeper I could ever find. And they were passing me on to the next person line, which was fantastic. Or they would say, no, have you tried ringing such and such a company? And what I did find very interesting was that I found it more difficult to get the UK crash test laboratory to speak to me than I did get the. um, It was actually the Italian crash test laboratory that I could speak into, and they explained everything to me in broken English as if I was a three-year-old.
1: Wow! So they are the people who were speaking your language. They were. Yeah.
0: My my own broken English.
1: So what was the moment when you realized or when you managed to, to convince one of these, you know, important people that actually there was something in your idea?
0: Well, I didn't actually convince them at that point. At, at, that, at the point where I was trying to build the relationship with them, I was trying to get information from them. So I managed to do all of that. I got all the information. Then I had to take flights out to China and try and get Mr. Chinese Man to make this for me, which he was refusing to do. And I had to go through a whole scenario of practically, I don't know whether I can say this on live or not, but I had to actually steal a cushion from a camping cushion because they wouldn't let me buy it. No, I didn't actually steal it. It was a driver that anyway, it was a driver that took it anyway. I I made it out of China. Don't tell anyone. I made it out of China alive after that, got back again and crash tested this in Italy. And first crash test it actually passed and we had to make very small, minor adjustments to the seat. But the concept of holding the seat belt was what was important. And in the past, everybody had been concerning themselves with having a rigid piece of structure where it's not actually the structure that's the important part. It's the holding of the seat belt. So, you know, a, a lot of engineers look at it from an engineering standpoint. And I was looking at it from a totally out of the box standpoint. But still solving the same problem.
1: Who was the ultimate person you had to convince?
0: The retailer and the consumer. At the end of the day, I had to get people to believe. When they heard Inflatable, they immediately thought, beach ball. And a beach ball, you wouldn't want your child, like, you're not going to throw it to them in the water if they're drowning. You're going to try and get them a life vest instead. So we had to get people to think... Life vest, not beach ball, whenever they thought about an inflatable car seat. So convincing the consumer was actually probably the most difficult part.
1: But there must have been a a roadblock put in front of you at some point by, you know, be it a a Mandarin in Brussels or a safety regulator in in London or Rome or wherever, that you had to finally say, actually, this is going to work.
0: No, because when it passes, you know, whenever you pass the regulations, you've passed. And it's not up to them to determine whether I should or I shouldn't meet the regulations. It's up to me to make sure I get it right. Okay. well, So we got it right.
1: And you've done it. So uh-huh. well done. I want to delve a little bit into your, into your, into your past. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to what you were doing even at the time you had this brainwave or, or what other kind of jobs you've done along the way that's turned you into the, the business person you are today. I mean, was there a business streak in your family?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. My dad actually, well, he he was amazing. He's he's going to be ninety in November, and he told me when he's a hundred, he's going to open another shop. And he doesn't know what he's going to sell, you, but he's going to open another shop. What's his first but shop do? His first shop, he had a uh, he had a grocer shop. He had a record shop. He had anything that was new. He had all the new ideas. He had these... Do you remember the photos that you could put on your plate? And it was called photoglazing. Was yes. Probably, bef- probably before your time. I think
1: it's still out there.
0: But My dad was like the first person in Ireland to have photoglazing. Wow. He was the first person in Northern Ireland to be doing engraving. He, he saw all these real novel ideas and he thought they were amazing. So he had always had his own business. He had his own band and he had a chip shop and he had like all loads of business going on. And then my brother as well, he owned radio stations. And yeah, so...
1: So there was definitely an entrepreneurial streak in the family. Yeah, yeah. So were you just kind of waiting for the right idea?
0: No, I wasn't. I I didn't even see it that way. I I had had my own business as well before Bubble Bum because I had been working as a travel agent and I had been headhunted by travel counsellors and I set up my own franchise of travel counsellors. So I had been doing that for about maybe seven, eight years, I think, before I had started with Bubble Bum.
1: So it wasn't obviously, a you know, balance sheets and all the rest weren't a completely alien concept to you, but the process of getting into to, to, to building a product and actually pushing a, uh, you know, a material product out there as opposed to booking pe- trips for people must have been different.
0: Well, see, I see things very differently because everything for me is just breaking it down into small bites. So whether I was booking a trip for somebody You know, I can get that equally as badly wrong as doing something really wrong for for a bubble bum. So I just break everything down into wee bites and I keep asking people stupid questions and I keep asking more and more and more stupid questions because it's the only way that you get the right answers.
1: You seem to talk, you're talking a lot about asking stupid questions mm-hmm. and asking people to kind of speak to you, you know, in in simple mm-hmm. language. Is there too much of, you know, needlessly complicated yes. language out there in the business yes, world? Yes,
0: absolutely, yes and yes, and abbreviations. And you go into, I went into a meeting in the bank once and it was probably... It's probably one of my first meetings in the bank and I went in and they started talking everything was abbreviated and there's no need for that Mm. everything was abbreviated and I said guys before you go any further I have no clue what you're talking about no clue, I said stop with the abbreviations stop with the big words just explain it to me in black and white, like I can count and I think that a lot of people try and muddy the water by talking in an abbreviated form.
1: Yeah, I think people often sound
0: smarter. Yeah, exactly. Well, it doesn't it's, sound if, smarter when you,
1: when you when you speak jargon. You think you're making yeah, yourself sound more intelligent, but any fool could make something sound uh, sound complicated, can't they? Yeah. But were you worried? You know, by by saying that, were you worried that they might not take you seriously? I
0: don't care. I'm at the point in my life where I actually don't care whether they take me seriously or not. Look, but they I'm,
1: were they were the gatekeepers to funds. Hmm.
0: Well, they've never given me any funds yet, so oh, okay. <laughs> so they're not really the gatekeeper. It's up to right. me to make the money. They,
1: they kept the gate closed.
0: Yeah, they did keep the gate well and truly closed.
1: So, I mean, you know, why do you think we have got to this stage where people try to use as overly complicated language in in business?
0: I think people take themselves really seriously, you know, and 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 part of that is you're always concerned about what other people think, and some of it is to do with ego. And one of our our values for our company is we'll take the business seriously, but never take ourselves too seriously because we believe that's fatal. If anybody comes into our office and takes themselves really seriously, we will annihilate them the minute they come in. It just doesn't work. You can't take yourself too seriously. But you have to be able to ask questions. You have to be, you have to show the vulnerability or you delay everything by about Two years, like the more you pretend that you know things, I've heard somebody said to me one day, "Oh, fake it till you make it," and I said, "Well, you're never going to make it then, because you're pretending. Just say straight out if you don't know. People are afraid to say when they don't know things.
1: Hmm. And as long as you got the right idea, even if you don't know how to support it, if you ask the right questions, yeah, you'll get there. So, you know, what at what point did you realize actually, I've got something that I can turn into? a worldwide success?
0: So on the sixth of June in two thousand and nine, I had just sent the seat off for a crash test in, in Italy. And I have a post-it note that I had stuck on the wall on my home office at the time. And the post-it note says bubble bum will be global. So I knew at that stage and I haven't dated and I knew at that stage the size of the opportunity And I knew all I had to do was to get it right. I knew that everybody had the same problem that I had. And all I had to do was to get it right.
1: And obviously you've said already that the the challenge was convincing retailers and consumers, Mm -hmm. ultimately consumers, Mm -hmm. that it was the solution to to, to their problems. Did that, you know, task intimidate or daunt you at the time?
0: Not really. And actually, it's very interesting. I had initially thought that the retailer would have been like my biggest barrier but the retailer wasn't because the first retailer we went to said the first colour way that we had was purple and it was purple and lime green and it was purple and lime green because my kids had said to me mum if we're doing this it's called bubble bum so it sounds like bubble gum but it's a bubble for your bum so we want to look at all the the hubba bubba bubble gum colours. And I said, right, okay, we'll do that. So we took out all the colours and then we went into a primary school and we looked through all the colourways and we actually came out with 98% of the children, equal mix of boys and girls, chose the purple and lime green colourway for the seat. So, and and they weren't being influenced at all. I mean, we were given, asking them to choose several different things. This was just one of the things we were asking them to choose. And we went to the first retailer. It's a major retailer in the UK and we showed them the colourway and they said,
1: Weren't interested?
0: Nobody's going to touch a purple seat.
1: But and I said, well, we've to the done kids. the market
0: research. Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to buy it. So within 12 months of us coming to market with a purple seat, every single manufacturer had released a purple version of their seat.
1: Wow. And that's because you talked to kids mm-hmm. rather than to, to marketeers. Mm-hmm. Why was that? You know, at what point did you realise that's what I need to do?
0: Because they're the customer. And with the age profile that we have, there's a lot of pester power with children because it's age four to 11. So that's the age whereby you're telling your child to have a bit of independence. And then you're saying, well, you've got to sit in a baby seat. So we had to make sure that the seat wasn't a baby seat. So we had to ask the children, what do you want? It had to be desirable to the child. And that was really important to us because my own two kids were using the seat. And for them, they were saying, me, you know, Mama, we, we want the colours that we want.
1: Because I guess lots of kids, they might, you know, see something like a booster seat and they think it kind of infantilizes them and they don't want to know about it. So right. you had to really kind of get them on board, as it were.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We, ha- we had to. And, and it was so funny because, you know, we we genuinely did have children sitting around the boardroom table talking about designs and colorways. And, and I think actually whenever I was on the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, they did film that. One of the sessions that we had with the kids, and we had them around the boardroom table. They were discussing all the colorways. They were talking about the sizes, what they were happy with, what they weren't happy with, with the packaging.
1: And what about the brand, the name? Were you worried that it might be a little bit, should we say risque? I mean, I'm not sure bum is really risque, but bubble bum. I mean, what, what, what thought went into that?
0: Well, everybody said to me, well, that might be all right for Ireland, you know, but you can never use that in England. And I said, well, I'll use it in England because... The children will think it's very funny. Their mums and dads might be a bit mad at me for creating that name, but the kids will love it so, and they will remember it. So then I was at a trade show in America. and Sorry, not in America. I was at a trade show in Germany. And I had so many people saying, you've got to change that name. You can't take that to America. There's no way you can release that name in America. It means something completely different. You can't do it. And I said, right, okay. And I, I was actually living in America at, at the time. And... These two American guys came over and they said to me, they took such a fiddle laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? And they said, we're laughing at the name. I said, isn't it great? Isn't it great? Isn't it the best you've ever heard? And they said, it actually is the best you ever heard. And I said, well, tell me about that because people are telling me that we shouldn't use this name in America. And they said, don't overthink it. The Americans are not stupid either, despite what people say. Do
1: you think a lot of businesses listen too much and naysayers sayers like that? To the people who told you not to make it colour purple or to call a bu- bubble bum.
0: Absolutely. And and I have a bit of a problem with that and that I have no filter. So it just comes straight out. And then I, from a marketing perspective, I have to have somebody oversee from a marketing perspective what I would put out there. Because what I would put out isn't always necessarily acceptable. And what we do has got to always be acceptably unusual. mm Like for example, we were doing trade shows and I wanted to get t-shirts printed and the t-shirts I wanted printed because bubble bum is all about size. I wanted the t-shirts to say, does my bubble bum look big in this? Because bubble bum comes in a small bag. It's the whole point of the seat. And my uh, American representative at the time, she said to me, you can never, you can't do that. You can't, you know how we feel in America about size and you can't talk. And I said, I'm talking about the seat. So we got badges made. Does my bubble bum look big in this? Wow. And (laughs) I swear to God, everybody loved them. They loved them.
1: And that was the start of that chapter. But I mean, when it comes to something that's as serious, though, as, um, you know, a product that is designed to save a child's life in the event of a car accident. Were you worried that kind of going down the, the, the cheeky, whimsical path might not be the right one?
0: Not really, because you still have to. I mean, you have to have the the stamp of approval you still have to meet all the same regulatory requirements you know I think it it differentiates us in the marketplace we're not a faceless brand you know the other brands that are out there they're all mega mega brands we will will never be a faceless brand
1: because yours has so much personality built into it Uh
0: and it's really important to us it's really important to the whole team
1: Hmm. do you think there's a kind of an an irreverence or a cheekiness to to the you know the, the dairy personality that's helped you get to where you are
0: I think so. And do you know this? In Derry, there seems to be this... Like everybody in Derry has got this startup mode for themselves. You know, you talk about people being entrepreneurs. Like even... Like even the splinter grips in Derry have splinter grips. <laughs> do you know? Because there's <laughs> so many born leaders. But you know, there's so many born leaders. And if it could all be channeled into the right... In the right way... Like, they day's full of amazing people. It really is.
1: I'm sure you've got an awful lot more to talk about, Gronia, So do stay with us on the Architects of Business. Lots more to talk about, including what it's like to be a woman at the top of a global business and what it was like striking that next level deal with the world's biggest retailer. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the program and this year's finalists. Get in touch, mail us on the Architects of Business at joe.ie. Cronia, so you know, unlike so many manufacturers in the world, you had an audience with the the biggest retailer in the world at a very early stage. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. It was Walmart.
0: It was Walmart. We had, it was very funny because we, at the very first trade show that I had gone to, actually the first American trade show, we won the Innovation Award. And it was a JPMA trade show. So this was like the biggest innovation award in in our industry that we had won. And of course it comes with a rosette. Oh. And uh, so I was wearing the rosette as if I was a A prize prize, pony. A prize (laughs) pony. Cow at the Lamas Fair Is what I was like With this rosette on And I insisted on wearing it For the four days of the show And this buyer came by the stand And he took a fiddle laugh And he was American And he had his tag in, Inside his shirt And I said um, Oh how you doing Who are you And I told him all about bubble bum And I said who are you He says oh my name's Don." And I said Who are you Don?" And I took out his tag And turned it round And I was like oh, No I can't talk to you And he was like Pardon and I said, no, I can't talk to you. You're from Walmart. And he said, yeah, I know. And I said, no, you crucify small businesses. I've heard what you do. I said, Don, don't be taking that personally because I think you're a really nice guy, but I can't talk to you. So he spent 15 minutes selling Walmart to me. And at the end of it, I said, Don, you're a really nice guy, but I'm still not talking to you.
1: And was that, that was a genuine feeling oh, at Oh, totally the time.
0: genuine. I and mean, we were never ready for them at that stage well, anyway?
1: opportunity. I mean, did you not see an opportunity? I mean, if, if Walmart wants to talk to you, I mean, yes, they, they might Screw the supply their suppliers a bit mm. or squeeze them. Screw is probably too hard a word, but to get on their shelves, I could been.
0: only see that we were years away from that at that point. As far as I was concerned, they were crucifying small businesses, and I didn't want part of that. I had my own strategy at the time, and I was like, we want to get into this, this, and this retailer, and that's where we're staying, and then we will look at a at a, a longer road. So that was all well and good. Uh We we were then awarded the Best Bet Booster Award in the US on the front page of the USA Today the front page of the New York Times Wow! and Dawn rings again 6 o'clock in the morning Uh, how many seats do you have in America we said we're really sorry Dawn you're a really nice guy we really like you but you can't have any of our seats so this relationship carried on and then he transitioned and he introduced me to the new buyer and she said and about two years later we were ready and I says okay we're ready to talk to you now got a meeting with a new buyer we went to see the new buyer Alyssa who was uh, delightful she was great and she was an early adopter so which was great because most of the buyers are not really early adopters and she said look I love the product I love the concept how are we going to make it work what are we going to do and I had said before I went in my god if we can get into 10% of these stores I swear to god I'm going to strip down naked and run through the streets another girl the American girl was with me as well and she was saying the same thing we're going to strip down naked and run through the streets I said, like, 10% really is what you would expect. 10% of stores. So that was like 400 stores. And I said to everybody, oh, my God, could you imagine if we got into 400 stores? Alyssa said to me, you know, if you get your price point from thirty nine ninety nine to twenty nine ninety nine, you know, I'm seeing, you know, potential for 2,000 stores. And apart from, my, I nearly vomited, 2,000. Right? So I nearly vomited.
1: You were expecting 400s.
0: Right. Cause, and all I could think about was... I'm going to have to run naked through the streets of Arkansas now because I've committed to this. I I've committed. This is what I'm going to have to do. I didn't do it, but I thought I was going to have to do it. But then the next conversation after that was a telephone call. So I flew back again from Arkansas. I had a phone call the following week with her. I'm on the phone and this is how real business is. I'm on the phone on probably what would have been one of the biggest phone calls of my career. with Half seven in the evening at, at my own home office. And my mum has an Alzheimer's She's in a care home at the minute But she was still living at home at the time And she wouldn't have been great at the conversation But Jesus she was brilliant at animal noises Okay So I'm on the phone to Alyssa at Walmart And my mum comes in and sits at the other side of the desk And proceeds with Moo mmm. So we had a cow We had a sheep We had we went through the full Like we went through Like the full farmyard
1: mm, I bet and did Alyssa No, react? she didn't.
0: She she was so professional. She didn't show any reaction. So I went into the next meeting a week later back in Arkansas again. And I went in and I sat down and she was very nice and very nice. And I said, Alyssa, the elephant in the room. She was like, I said about the animals. And she said, yeah, I I didn't know how to approach that. <laughs> so when I explained that all to her, but her, we, we, like we talked about relationships earlier, I mean, we're still Facebook friends, you know. We don't even sell the Walmart anymore, but I'm really like I find her friendship. Like she, she is actually a good friend of mine.
1: And they've been chasing you as well.
0: They have been. I well, we did we did go into the store, and we've moved out of store. And it's not. It's interesting because our online business is so much more significant than our in-store US business. And this is very interesting in America. It's kind of different from here you're not necessarily going to have a store within a 30-minute drive.
1: Hmm.
0: You can be living way out in the sticks, but you can order anything you want. I mean, they order a lot of food from Amazon in America that we don't do here. It's a very different model. So we found that our e-commerce sales were absolutely going sky high. You know, we're one of the best sellers on Amazon.com and have been consistently for the last number of years. And we're not spending millions on advertising on there. We just know how to do it. And we really know how to do it. So the the landscape is totally changing in retail.
1: But why does it make sense to to, to walk away from, you know, retail altogether? You know, if, if We're not walking
0: away altogether. We're walking away from certain retailers that are costing us a lot of money.
1: Right. Because the and margins they, are healthier and,
0: and And it's not even that the margins are healthier. It's the costs that they make you fight for. And they charge you. Chargebacks, like the sort of chargebacks you're getting, are chargebacks where they'll say, you know, we didn't, we, we have you on a net fifteen, so we have to pay you within fifteen days of the goods being shipped. Okay, so they don't pay us for ninety days, and they still take two percent, right? Because they say that they've paid us within fifteen days, and we're saying, no, 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 you received the goods, we dispatched the goods, you received them within fifteen days, and they're saying, no, oh, we didn't get them for ninety days and we said well you picked them up and he said it doesn't matter we didn't receive them it's when we clock it in in our system so these are the sort of things that the major retailers are using against the smaller suppliers and they are crucifying them
1: and that was what you were worried was, about in the first place point. yeah exactly but was there you know did it take courage to walk away from, from Walmart of all places you know something that was such a big part big milestone in your story
0: if something's costing you money the only thing that'll keep you there is ego and Do you know, we used it for what we needed it for. It gave us great credibility and great exposure. It did give us credibility. But we are selling many more units on e-commerce than we ever were in store, in America particularly.
1: And you are always, I'm guessing, looking for for, for new ways to sell as well.
0: Yeah. And I think we're, we're very different to... So when you go into a store and see our product sitting... You go into a store, you're not going to see a rigid booster seat sitting and say, what a great idea. I need that because they've been around for years. But when you go into a store and see a booster seat that you can stick in your backpack and take it with you, you'll say, what a great idea. That's going to save me a fortune when I'm going to my holidays and I don't have to rent one. Right. So the reason Bubble Bum was born was actually for the travel industry. I was in the travel industry before I started with Bubble Bum, And we've been trying all through the years to get in with the car rental companies and the difficulty that we have with the car rental companies is that they are absolutely killing families with the charges. They, it, it is daylight robbery what they're charging families to rent car seats that are number one not suitable, number two covered in I don't know what and I don't want anybody else's vomit on my child's seat.
1: No, good yeah.
0: plan. And they're charging you a Uh, The average cost is €11 per day. Per day. So it's more expensive than the car. Think about that. €11 a day. The car seat's more expensive than the car. It's more expensive to rent the car seat than it is to rent the car. That's insane. Where's the sense in that? No sense. But they're making such huge extortionate margins on renting rigid car seats to families that they don't want us to sell these to the customer.
1: Um, So how, uh, you know, your kids are... At the board table, aren't they? I uh-huh. mean, and, and it's a family business. How much time do you have to, do you sacrifice more time than an average mother, do you think? To, to, I have, to commit to I, I
0: certainly have done over the past eight years. I certainly have sacrificed more time. Um, and then two years ago, um, so I had been doing a lot of traveling. And when I say a lot of traveling, I was probably in America every month and then I might have had a flight to China in between, and then back and forth to the UK, and then up and down from Derry to Dublin. So that was a, a significant amount of travelling. And I had noticed that I was really exhausted, and I kept thinking, You're really lazy. I was like, You're so lazy. Pull yourself together, woman. Come on. Other people do this. Just pull yourself together. Turned out anyway that I had to have heart surgery done. It was nothing to do with being lazy at all. Oh, wow. Imagine that. So I had that doll done, and honest to God, everybody should do it. It was the best thing heart ever. Heart surgery? Aye. But it was oh, wow. easy. They just went down and burned out a couple of bits. It was great, great. But I'll tell you what was so great afterwards. I realized that it wasn't lazy at all. That I was just tired with that, and I made the decision at that time that I was going to reduce my travel. And last year, I said I was going to reduce it by fifty percent, and I reduced it by ninety percent.
1: And how do you do you manage without doing that? I mean, is there anything you're sacrificing by not traveling?
0: Not really, actually. Probably some of the PR in America. I've had to sacrifice some of the TV opportunities that I've been given in America, I've had to sacrifice. But, you know, we're growing and we're growing everywhere. You know, we had a phone call yesterday from one of our major e-commerce partners and they've come back to us to say that we are growing beyond any other product in the category
1: which so, is significant so I mean at this stage you've got the critical mass that the, the product is to a certain is, is yeah. selling itself and yeah. it, it requires perhaps a little bit less of less of grown yet. yeah
0: it requires less of me physically yeah but everything can be done remotely now and we do like everything is Skype and video conferencing now
1: do you have anyone else in the company who's as uh, much or as good as an ambassador as you are yourself? oh they
0: all are <laughs> everybody is Everybody in our company are, some of them are better ambassadors than me. They really are.
1: How do you find them? How do you rate them when you, uh, you know, seek new personnel?
0: First thing that we do when they come for their interview is we give them a list of our vision and values and we ask them to read the vision and values. And I first question I'll ask them is, do you feel that you can follow these? Because those are our rules. Things like, you know, don't say what you don't want other people to hear. All those types of things. Don't write what you don't want other people to read. It's it's how we communicate with each other is really, really important. And I'm not prepared to bring somebody into our team that's going to upset the apple cart.
1: I mean, it strikes me. It seems like you've got a very distinctive uh, corporate company culture Mm -hmm. that reflects probably your own personality. I mean, do you find a lot of applicants are, you know, straight out of MBA school or whatever and, and, and are a bit too straight laced for you?
0: no what I do find is though people who are coming from a corporate background it takes them a wee while to come around because typically when you're coming out of a corporate background going into a more entrepreneurial business you've had a whole team behind you and and what I've discovered is that a lot of people were coming to me for job interviews and saying oh I did this and I did this and I did this and then it turned out that it was we did this and we did this and I said no did you do it or did the royal we do who did it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it turned out that A lot of the things that they had done, they actually hadn't done because they had a team. So when you come in to work in a a much more entrepreneurial business, I think you get a much better, you get a much more varied level of experience. But you also still get the structure that you'll get within a corporate entity. But you do, you do more and you learn more. I do believe you learn more.
1: Uh, How much longer do you think you've got on the kind of the road of of building bubble bum into to, to what you wanted to be? I mean it's not your first business, but do you think it will actually be your, your last or could you be
0: No, I already have another business.
1: Oh my goodness. Well. well what's coming on next well, you see next this, is, the line? this has
0: happened as a result of bubble bum. So because we do like phenomenally well on Amazon, I've had so many people coming to me and saying, you know, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? Because they know how difficult it is. You don't just put your product on there and say goodbye and wait for the sales to come in. That's not what happens. So we've actually taken on quite a few brands and we are managing their brands now on Amazon, which is doing really well for us as well. I bet.
1: Because it seems like you've stumbled upon the magic recipe.
0: Well, I think what, what what's different. So there are many companies that have set themselves up and positioned themselves to do that. And they've taken a whole lot of staff from Amazon and said, you know, we've got the full, the full team here from Soup to Nuts, and that you know we've got everybody in the in the Amazon team. But it's not possible for them to have everybody in the Amazon team, and everything's changing every day. You know, their algorithms are changing constantly. So I don't care if you were there last week; that's last week. You've got to be there today. And those people that are working within Amazon will all have worked within a certain place in Amazon. We need people who know, what do you do with a brand, new brand or a brand that is largely unknown? What do you do with that? How do you make the consumer see that before they even get to Amazon? And then how do you make them buy it?
1: And a classic example of a business idea, idea that's kind of come to you out of necessity rather yeah. than actual kind of, you know, sitting down thinking about inventing something. Yeah. It's, that could be bigger than bubble bum in the, in the not too distant future. Quite possibly. Well, Quite possible. we'll be watching the space. Oh, please do, Ronnie Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tag. lovely to talk to you, and you. Thanks for joining us today on the Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Gronia Kelly, our producer, Patrick Hawhey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or indeed future shows by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. Check out Joe's other podcasts too, including the Hard Yards on Rugby, the The GAA Hour, and our movie review show, The Big Review Ski. I'm Ty Gennwright, thank you very much for being with us today, and we'll see you again very soon. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the
0: island of Ireland.